Good morning, everybody. Nice to see you. Our key scripture this morning comes from the book of Luke, chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn over there. Luke, chapter 4, we will be reading verses 14 through 21. Luke, chapter 4, 14 through 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I don't know if you have ever had the opportunity to be around someone who was really, really successful and creative and passionate about what they do. And several years ago, I had the opportunity to spend some time with a man who is passionate about something that you are going to think is strange. He was passionate about walls. Uh, Now, there's been a lot of talk about walls recently within our country, but it's not that kind of wall. He actually uh, created a product, uh, engineered it, designed it, figured all this out where you can uh, take wood and stick it on the wall. And the product is called Stick Wood. Um, and so he, he figured out how to make this. He came up with the, uh, all the adhesive stuff for the back. And this company became this multi-million dollar company. And the first time that I met him, uh, they had hired me to do some, some work with them and to, to make him over <laughs> because they were going to this big show in, in New York and they basically looked at him and said, Jerry, you can't go to New York looking like this. Uh, so they called me in to, to help them out with that. And so I met him the first time and I just asked him, you know, how did you start this company? And the man talked for 45 minutes about walls. He did. And at no point during that 45 minutes was I ever bored or disinterested. (laughs) Because he had so much energy and passion about what he was doing. He cared. and, And he had this whole philosophy of walls and how they're misused within homes and how things should be different and how you could look at things different and how they change a space. And he had all these different things. And I left that meeting with with my friend Rusty and I just told Rusty, I was like, I have never heard someone talk about walls (laughs) like that before. And I got home and I was telling other people about walls. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about what this could be used for and how it could change that? And if a wall were here instead of there, like what that would mean? And I couldn't even help myself. I love this passage from Luke where Jesus stands up and he tells everyone exactly what he is going to be about. And the things that he is going to be about are exciting things. 
He is going to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. He's going to set the oppressed free. He is going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He is going to change the world. He's going to change the world. And he wants everyone to know that God is moving and doing and creating and restoring and healing and God is going to do all of those things now that you don't have to wait for it. And he stands up and he tells them all of this and he tells them the spirit of the Lord is on me and has anointed me and look at what God is going to do. We have been talking about the Spirit in our lives. And as we look at these words from Jesus here now, it is incredible for me to think that the Spirit of God is available to me. That the Spirit of God is available to you. That God lives inside of us. And I look at these words of Jesus and what the Spirit of God was empowering him to do. And I wonder, what could God's Spirit empower us to do if we learned to use the Spirit in the same way? To stand up and proclaim that God is still moving and working, and doing, and restoring, and healing, and still changing the world. Let us proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that God is, and that through his spirit, we too can change everything for someone. Amen? All right. All right. Um, so j- just, just to sort of get our brains uh, thinking a little bit this morning, um, I would l- like for you just to take a second and, and turn to the person next to you. I know you love it when I do this. Um, but uh, I would love for you to turn to the person next to you and define the word love. So go ahead. Take, take a moment. Take a moment. Turn to the person next to you. Define the word love. Okay, so <clears throat> I just gave you roughly one minute to define the word love. Did any of you capture 
everything about love in that one minute. Raise your hand if you, if you pretty much, yeah, Zula, you got that? G- got it on lock? Yeah. If, uh, so l- love is a pretty complicated concept, isn't it? And, and so we could talk for a minute about what the definition of the word love is. I, I heard some people saying, well, there's lots of different kinds of love. I heard Cheryl say, I love pizza. Um, I think, didn't I hear you say that? That was Kelly. Okay, well, I heard Kelly in Cheryl's voice say, <laughs> I love pizza. Uh, so what I decided to do was, just to help our, our discussion out this morning, is I went to, um, I, I went on the, this thing called the internet, and I found uh, some songs that speak about love. And this is going to help us clear up our definition of what love is. <clears throat> Once on a high and windy hill in the morning mist, two lovers kissed and the world stood still. Then your fingers touched my silent heart and taught it how to sing. Yes, true loves. Anyone? A many-splendored thing. Okay. You love her, but she loves him, and he loves somebody else. You just can't win. (laughs) And so it goes till the day you die, this thing they call love, it's going to make you cry. (laughs) I've had the blues, the reds, and the pinks. One thing's for sure. Love stinks. Wait. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love stinks. Yeah, yeah. I'd gladly walk across the desert with no shoes upon my feet to share with you the last bite of bread I had to eat. I would swim out to save you in your sea of broken dreams when all your hopes are sinking. Let me show you what love means. Love can build a bridge between your heart and mine. Love can build a bridge. Don't you think it's time? Don't you think it's time? But then there was this one. When routine bites hard and ambitions are low and resentment rides high but emotions won't grow and we're changing our ways, taking different roads, then love, love will tear us apart again. So I'm a little confused as to what love actually is. Is it a splendid thing or does it stink? Does it build a bridge or does it tear us apart? I don't know how to define it based on this input. But love is one of those concepts that is difficult for us to express or accurately put into words. It's even harder to describe what love looks like or what it would necessarily do or or be or would show now we have been talking about uh how the spirit has played a crucial role in the lives of god's people and we saw it throughout the history when we looked at the old testament that the spirit was active in the life uh the lives of god's leaders 
uh, the people that God called forward to lead his people and acted as a, as a guide and an agent of power in their lives. And then last week, we looked at the life of Jesus. And we saw that Jesus uh, was uh, formed by the Spirit, was led by the Spirit, was empowered by the Spirit, that the Spirit was the way uh, he was connected to God and how he, how he did all of the things that he did. Jesus himself uh, says this, how he stayed connected to God. But here's the problem a little bit for us when we start talking about, well, what does the Spirit do for us? How does it, like, we can look at how the Spirit worked in the life of Jesus, or we can look at how it it worked in the life of the people in the Old Testament. We can look at all these things, but if we're going to start talking about what the Spirit does for us, what kind of a definition are we looking for? Like, wouldn't it be great if we just had a very simple 30-second definition of what the Spirit does in our lives. I mean, wouldn't it then be a lot easier to understand? Wouldn't wouldn't it then be easier to know if the Spirit is leading us or guiding us? But like the concept of love, the concept of the Spirit is not one that is really easy to define. And I just want to suggest something to you this morning. I think that a lot of times uh, in churches, when we have talked about the work of the Spirit in our lives, the conversation has gravitated toward the idea of spiritual gifts. Can someone prophesy? Can someone heal? Can someone speak in tongues? Can any of these different things happen? And, and that is where the conversation about the Spirit has rested, is in this area. Now, why is it that we gravitate toward that question of the idea of spiritual gifts? I, I think it's for a couple of reasons. Number one, it seems like such a tangible way to know what the Spirit is doing. Well, look at what it does. It does this, it does that, and it, it empowers us to do these things. So I, I think there's that. But then as we've talked about within churches of Christ, and not just us, but within other churches, if we have allowed the conversation of the Spirit to center around these spiritual gifts of prophesying or, or speaking in tongues or healing or any of these different things, well, what happens when you're not empowered to do those things? If this is what you think the Spirit is, and you haven't prophesied recently, or spoken in tongues recently, then what does the Spirit actually do? And it's no wonder if we have put the Spirit in that particular corner that it it became irrelevant to us. It became irrelevant to us. Because what were we most concerned with? What it can or can't any longer do. And these are the manifestations that we talk about. Well, I want us to think, we got we to gotta just not do that with the Spirit. We need to not do that with the Spirit, because as we saw last week in the life of Jesus, Jesus used the Spirit of God all the time for everything. And it wasn't just one thing in his life. So this morning, as we talk about what the Spirit does in our life, we might be tempted to jump forward 
to look at the book of Acts or to look at some of the different things that Paul writes about the Spirit, to look at spiritual gifts. But we would be missing a whole lot of good stuff if we did that. Because the one who really brought the Spirit to the forefront of the discussion and helps us understand what the Spirit does was Jesus. Because Jesus understood just how important the Spirit is in the spiritual life of God's people. So Jesus has a lot to say about it, and particularly in the book of John, he goes, he shares a lot about what the Holy Spirit does. And so this morning, we're just going to look at some kind of broad categories of ways that the, the Holy Spirit works within God's people. Okay? So if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to open up to the book of John. We're going to start in John chapter 3. We're going to start in John chapter 3 and just kind of hit some highlights here in the book of John. So number one, what does the Spirit do in our lives? Okay, number one, the Spirit is the key. The Spirit is the key to what Jesus calls new birth. So here's the situation here in John chapter 3. There's a guy named Nicodemus, and he is... Uh, a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. He's heard about Jesus and everything that Jesus has been doing, and he wants to know more. Uh, But being a Pharisee, the Pharisees and Jesus don't really get along so great. And he doesn't, we think, (laughs) I think, he doesn't want everyone else to see him going to talk to Jesus and, and asking Jesus sort of what the situation is. So he leaves, like in the middle of the night, and finds out where Jesus is and goes over to talk to him about the kingdom of God and about the things that God is doing. So we, we're going to pick up the conversation here in John chapter 3, starting in verse 3. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. How can anyone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Uh, I love this exchange between Jesus and Nicodemus. Number one, because Jesus is pulling a complete Yoda moment on Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, we need to grasp this for a second, Nicodemus is really confused. Do you know why he's confused? Because what Jesus said is confusing. That's why. All right? And this concept that Jesus is starting to lay out here to Nicodemus is one that Nicodemus doesn't really understand or have a context to understand yet. And so what does he say to him? Well, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. And then if we're reading the conversation right, Jesus just stops. And Nicodemus says, "Um, I see kind of a technical problem with this idea of being born again. My mother does not want me (laughs) to try to get back inside of her womb. This this can't happen. I I don't know what you mean. 
And so Jesus then lays out for him, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. What Jesus was talking about was something new that God was doing. I mean, it's the reason why Nicodemus comes to talk to him in the first place. He, this sense that, that something new is happening through Jesus. And Jesus tells Nicodemus that if you are going to be part of the kingdom of God, then you need to be born again. But Nicodemus, it's not a physical rebirth. It's a spiritual rebirth. And what is at the middle of this spiritual rebirth? Why are you born again? What kind of a rebirth is it? It's a birth into what? Into the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, and the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. So the, the rebirth that Jesus described actually happens through the Spirit, and those who are going to be part of the kingdom need to go through this process so that what is spiritual in them becomes tied to the Spirit of God. You are born again. Now, here's what's so interesting about this passage to me. Historically, within the churches of Christ, when we talk about baptism, what has baptism always been about? Salvation. It has always been about salvation. But what does Jesus say this rebirth is about? It's about the Spirit. Now, when we've taught about baptism, we've taught about salvation, and we've also thrown in the, so you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But I want us to notice something here. That Jesus is putting the Spirit at front and center, even in rebirth. And think about this for a second. Is baptism part of our salvation process? Absolutely. But to Jesus, getting the Spirit is just as important as whatever else is happening. That the Holy Spirit comes and lives with us. And as we saw last week, Jesus can say this thing because one, he was literally birthed through the Spirit. But two, when he is baptized by John, what happens to him? The Spirit of God descends on him. And there's this proclamation about who he is. And so what's really great about this interaction is that Jesus is trying to explain to Nicodemus, here is what is going to change about everything. The Spirit of God is going, you are going to be baptized into the Spirit, birthed into the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. But then, he doesn't want us to figure it out too much, right? Because what does he say? The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. What does that mean? <laughs> What does that mean? Well, it's hard, it's hard to understand what that means, but the, I think part of what Jesus is trying to get to here is that when we tie ourselves to the Spirit of God, who then decides what we do or what we become? God does, 
And how does God carry that out in us? It's the Spirit that guides us. So just like wind blows this way or that way, what's going to determine the direction that you go? The Spirit of God, not you. The Spirit of God will determine that in you, not you. And this is, this is one of the big differences between what life in the Spirit is going to be like versus what your life is like before the Spirit is in you. I mean, think about it. What, and, this, and think about why this is an especially important point to Nicodemus. What is his job? As a Pharisee, what is his job? It is to know the law. It is to tell other people what the law says. It is to tell other people how to act out the law in their own lives. It is to tell other people what they should do, where they should go, how they should do it, if they're okay or not. I mean, this is what he does as an expert in the law. And we get to the end of this, and what does Jesus tell him? Guess what? It's not about what you decide or tell their people to do. In fact, life in the Spirit is like being blown by the wind. This way, that way. But the Spirit is what makes all of this happen. So starting right here from the beginning in the book of John, there is this opening concept that the Spirit of God is crucial to you becoming anything that God wants you to be, to you being in the kingdom at all. What must you have? You must be born again. And what is this new birth? It's birth into the Spirit. Okay, so that's a big concept, right? I just threw a lot of stuff at you right there. Um, so, uh, but here's, here's the second one, okay? Number two. Jesus introduces the idea of the Spirit being unlimited within him. Okay, so John the Baptist was being questioned about Jesus. Um, Jesus was teaching and, and, and baptizing, and, and people, were, people were wondering, you know, if Jesus was trying to, like, usurp John, you know, who's, what is Jesus doing, and all these people are following him, and he's healing, and he's doing this stuff, you know, and is he trying to take your corner on the market? And John let them know that he had no problem with Jesus doing whatever Jesus wanted to do because John knew who Jesus was and where he had come from. So later, just down a little bit more in chapter 3, starting in verse 31, this is John's response to these questions. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The person who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. So look, they're asking him about Jesus, and so John has his own Yoda moment here with them. And he says, you know, you're trying to elevate me to this point of importance, and, and thank you for that. But there are two different things happening here. There is someone from where? 
from above, from heaven, and there is someone from earth, okay? There's, there's someone from heaven, and there's someone from earth. And the one from heaven is way better than the one from earth. It, way better than the one from earth. Um, the one who comes from heaven is above all. And, and, and he's here to tell you everything that he knows and has seen of the Father. He's here to share that with you. But the problem is, the, reason, the real reason why you're here having this discussion with me today about whether I'm upset about Jesus is that you're not really listening to him. And even when you do, you're not accepting what he says. So you've come to me like this guy living in the middle of the desert, <laughs> right? To, to help you understand these things. And, and so he's, he's laying this out for them. And, but look at what he says there in verse 34. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. Okay, so they understood, those people, you know, the, the Jews at the time understood that God would sort of pour out his Spirit on people for different situations, um, so they understood how, uh, how Moses had access to the Spirit or how Joshua had access to the Spirit or how the judges or these different people, how God would put his Spirit into them and empower them for specific things. But John wanted them to know there is something different going on with Jesus. And Jesus is doing these things of God because he has the Spirit of God. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. He has the Spirit in a way that you have not seen before. And this is significant for us in particular because what has Jesus already said is part of what's going to go on with us. If Jesus has the Spirit without limit and he wants us to be reborn into the Spirit, then what does that mean about the Spirit for us. It's bigger than we think. The whole thing's bigger than you think. This is not God pouring himself out into one person so they can do one thing. Instead, this is God with his Spirit living inside of you. And you need to change your thinking about what the Spirit of God does and how it's going to work and how big this whole thing is. And then he takes the next huge step. And this one is really big. We don't appreciate this next one very much. But it's a really big one. And that is, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is going to change everything about the way you worship. It's going to change everything about the way that you worship God. And this whole conversation and how he introduces this happens with the woman at the well. So here's what's great about what we're seeing in John, right? What we're seeing in John is that John is teaching us about the Spirit and what the Spirit does through Jesus' interactions with other people. Do you see this? So he's actually having conversations. So he has a conversation with Nicodemus. John has a conversation with the people who are coming and asking him. And now Jesus is going to have a conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well. And through all these conversations and interactions, as Jesus is teaching other people about what's going to happen, we get to learn also. It's this window into these things that are happening all around Jesus. And so he was talking to uh, the woman by the well, and she was confused by the encounter for a lot of reasons. Um, uh, Jesus was a Jewish man, and she was a Samaritan woman. Uh, turbo history for a second. 
um, the Samaritans were what the Jews considered a mixed breed. So they had a Jewish heritage, but they had stayed behind when other people were taken into captivity or they had come back early and they had intermarried with people all around them. And so this is one of the reasons why the Jews judged the Samaritans so harshly um, was because they weren't, they, they had sullied themselves by going to these other. So the Samaritans, they still wanted to worship God, but the Jews said, no, you cannot come to Jerusalem and go to the temple. They, they didn't get along. So Jesus is having this conversation with her. So it's weird that this Jewish teacher would be talking to her, a Samaritan woman. And then he starts talking to her about the different things that have been going on in her life. He offers her living water. And then she brings up the question of worship. Um, her people worshiped God again, but the Jews told them that their worship wasn't acceptable because you had to go to Jerusalem. So listen to what he says. Uh, John chapter 4, starting in verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. Okay, so why is this such a big deal? It's huge. Like this... This is a really, really big deal that he's saying this. Now, what's such a big deal about it? Well, what do you notice about what he says? I mean, he's saying he's tying worship directly to the Spirit, but there is this word in there that would really trouble you if you were a Jewish person at the time. Do you know what word that is? You see it? The word is truth. Because if you are going to worship in truth, then what does that say about what's happening right now? That there is something, let's not go so far as to call it false, okay? But Jesus is clearly saying that what is going to happen is going to be better and more truthful than whatever is happening right now. So here's this woman that wants to worship God but can't. Can't go to Jerusalem, cannot go to the temple, cannot go to this place where God lives and meet him. And what does Jesus tell her? You know what? There is a day that's coming where you're not going to need a mountain you're not going to need a temple. You're not going to need an altar. You are going to worship through the Spirit. And when you worship in the Spirit, you are going to worship in truth because this is the kind of worshiper that God seeks. Now, what's so amazing about that statement is I think it's less about Jesus judging the Jews, and more about what it is that God wants from us when we worship. 
And what is Jesus essentially saying here? He's, he's saying that when we get to worship in the Spirit, how much separation is there going to be between us and God? I mean, this is revolutionary. It is. They had to travel to a city. And in that city, they had to go to the dwelling place of God. And they could only get so close to God. There were all these divisions. Gentiles had to stay out here. Women had to stay over here. Even the high priest could only go before God once a year. And he had to be really, really cleansed in order to get into that place where God, they believed God, God's feet rested. That is not an accessible God. You know what I'm saying? And what Jesus is describing here is a God who no longer wants to be far away from his people. He no longer wants to be far away from his people. He wants to be with his people and the kind of worshipers that he want are, wants are those who are empowered by the Spirit of God and can come straight to him and worship him in spirit and in truth. So the Spirit is what's going to make this possible. The Spirit is what's going to make this happen that is going to revolutionize the way that God's people communicate with God. You can just talk to him. You can just worship him. You don't need someone else to make it happen for you. That's a pretty amazing thing. It's a pretty amazing thing, and we don't appreciate it because we've known this our entire lives. But to this woman rejected by society, rejected by her culture, rejected by her God, based on what everyone else has told her, he gives her this peace. He gives this to her. That the Spirit is going to allow you to worship God and be with him just right there. Um, so next, the Spirit and life. In John chapter 6, Jesus had people following him around in this huge crowd and there was no food for everyone and so Jesus took a small meal and multiplied it so that all 5,000 people were fed. Um, and Jesus knew that when he did this, when he multiplied for the 5,000, that everyone was going to think that was pretty neat. And um, he knew that they would want to make him king at that point. Because after all, if he can multiply food for everyone, isn't this like the kind of king that we want? Um, so he tried to get away from everyone. And uh, they realized he was gone, and they got in their boats, and they found him again, and Jesus was frustrated. And he was frustrated because he's like, I did this amazing thing, and now this is all anyone wants to talk about is making more food. Um, and so in John chapter 6, this is, this is his response to this scenario. Starting in verse 26. 
Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Jesus then told them that if they really wanted to live, they needed to eat of him because he is the bread of life. And strangely enough, he says this to everyone, you need to eat for me because I'm the bread of life, and people don't really understand what he means. Um, they, they, they struggled with this idea of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Um, so this is what he says in, in chapter, uh, again in chapter 6, starting in verse 60. On hearing this statement, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit of life. So, where does the Spirit fit into this context of what Jesus is saying? Well, what does the Spirit What does the Spirit do? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. So Jesus is contrasting this idea, right? He wants them to understand who he is spiritually, that he is the Son of God that can offer them the bread of life. And they're like, yeah, but make more bread. No, no, no. You don't need that kind of bread. You need this kind of bread. Eat from me. It is the, I am the bread of life. Eat from me and you will have life. That's awesome. Can we have more bread? And so what are they stuck in? They're stuck in here, the things of this place, when Jesus is trying to get them to elevate their thinking to think of things in a different way. What is it that you need to feed you? What is it that brings you life? Where is the real life? The, li- the real life is in the Spirit. That's the kind of bread you need. You need the bread of life. You need to eat from me. You need to drink from me. And, and this is what brings you life. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Stop getting so fixated on this. Lift your eyes up and see what is going on here. So, these are really far-ranging and crucial roles that the Spirit is going to play in our relationship with God. I mean, these are just big ideas that Jesus is laying out left and right in conversations with people. And this is important for us to note. Do they get it? No. Why not? Why do you think? Why do they not get it? Because maybe they're in the flesh. Yeah? Be, what's that? Okay, and, and they already know that they're God's people. Okay, and again, let's just recognize these ideas are big and different for them. They're, you know, it's, we can even go back to that first story with Nicodemus, you must be born again. Well, Jesus, how can I do that? They are. They're, these things that Jesus is talking about are, it's like he's from Mars. <laughs> it's, it's a completely different everything. And here is what we have failed to pay attention to. It's the spirit that makes it all happen. 
It's the Spirit that makes it all happen. It is through the Spirit that it happens. It is with the Spirit that happens. The Spirit is at the center. The Spirit is at the center of how God is changing his relationship with his people. It's at the middle of it. So, these are some pretty big ideas, and Jesus is going to give us more information in uh, chapters 14 through 16 of John. But w- there are some things that we can learn about the Spirit right now that help us to grasp a little bit about what the Spirit does. And the Spirit's name, according to Jesus, is this very strange word. Um, the word is paraclete. Yeah, it's, it's a good one. Not parakeet. Paraclete. Um, this was the name that Jesus uses for the Spirit when he talks about him in John chapter, uh, chapters 14 through 16. And the challenge that we have with this name is that the word paraclete is not so easy to define. Um, it is, uh, the, the term paraclete is the anglicized version of the original Greek word Parakletos, and the meaning of this word is obscure, so much so that some translations actually avoid the word entirely, um, rather than commit to a particular English noun. Uh, when scholars do translate the word, there is not much agreement as to which definition of the word actually fit the word paraclete best. So here are some of the things, uh, some of the definitions for this word, okay? We have advocate, comforter, companion, counselor, helper, friend, intercessor, strengthener, and others, <laughs> etc. at the end. Um, so the Greek word itself is formed by two different words. The first uh, word is the word para, which means be- beside or along with. And the second part of the word is the word kaleo, which means to call. So if you were to put these two words together, it would suggest one who is called beside or summoned. But it doesn't necessarily say then what it does once it gets there. <laughs> I call on you. Okay, I'm here. Super. Do we just stare at each other now or what? Like, what happens here? Um, in secular Greek, uh, the word most often takes this meaning uh, when it shows up in a legal context. So they were not... Pro- Uh, professional lawyers per se at the time of the New Testament. Instead, a family member or friend would be called on to serve as a spokesperson uh, standing with the defendant to argue his case before a judge and jury. Um, And this friend that you would call with you to testify for you in court was called the paraclete. Um, And it is from this context that the idea of advocate or intercessor comes from. Uh, But the problem with this definition is that there is really nothing very... um, lawyerly, shall we say, about, I don't think that's a word, but let's just pretend it is, about the work of the Spirit in Jesus's description. I mean, everything that Jesus has said so far doesn't lend a lot toward that particular definition. Uh, Even though the idea of the Spirit being the one who stands beside us is really appropriate, the rest of the legal context is a little bit confusing. Um, But there is a verb form of the word that is more common in the New Testament and the Greek world. And it's a word that Paul uses a lot in his writings. So 
Uh, here are some examples of what this word, the verb form, means. Uh, we've got urge uh, from Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, encourage in 1 Thessalonians 2.12. Plead with in Philippians 4, verse 2. Comfort, 2 Corinthians 1.4. And exhortation from 1 Timothy uh, 5.1. And the common thread in all these definitions of the word is someone speaking into the lives of others, often powerfully in order to achieve a positive effect. And so with this meaning, um, you still get the idea of someone who comes to your side and speaks for you, but you also get the idea of someone who speaks to us. And and is not just speaking on our behalf. Um, So Jesus we can put that into this context and Jesus is speaking of one who is a supporter and advisor who counsels us. Um, So as you may be noticing right now, this is the word that Jesus uses, uh, again, for the Holy Spirit, this word paraclete, but it's hard to define. It's hard to nail down. Oh, this is what the Spirit does. No, 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 this is what the Spirit does. Oh, no, no, it does this. We want a simple definition because it helps us to understand it better. But the truth of the matter is, there's not a simple definition for what, and if, uh, here's what, let me just say this, there is not a simple definition for what the indwelling spirit of God does. Think about that for a second. The indwelling spirit of God if we call the spirit a helper, it makes him seem like he's an errand boy. Friend seems too familiar. Counselor makes us think of a psychiatrist. So when it comes to one word for the spirit, we just can't do it. Can't do it. So here is the definition we are going to use uh, for the rest of our discussion. Are you ready? Advocate, comforter, companion, guide, counselor, helper, friend, helping presence, intercessor, encourager, exhorter, supporter, advisor, consoler. I don't know if all the first letters make up a word, but if you want to figure that out, you're welcome to. Um, One who is called beside or summoned. One who speaks up for us. One who speaks into lives to achieve a positive effect. One who offers assistance in a situation where help is needed. All right. So memorize that and you should be good. Should be good. So I'm still kind of like, well, Bryce, that's a weird answer to what the Spirit is and what it does, but then, again, I was drawn back to this idea of what it is that we're actually trying to describe. Can you describe God in ten words? How many words would it take to describe God? Kelly? All of them. Why? Because he's too big. And, and what do we recognize? If we were to try to describe God, our words will always come short. We say God is loving. And immediately we think about how we love and what we do and what it looks like. But when we say God is loving, that's a completely different creature. It's a different animal. And the love of God so dwarfs what my understanding of love is that I can't begin to explain it. So, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of whom? Of God. 
And God is boundless and great and big and huge. And the Spirit is the same thing. And then I realized, you know, I want this definition to be easy because it puts me in the driver's seat of this thing. I understand it. This is what the Spirit does. This is how it works. This is what it can do. Oh, this is what it can't do. But I'm forced to wrestle with the simple truth that this is the Spirit of God. And it will blow me whichever way it wants me to go. And my ability to define or understand it just puts the Holy Spirit into a corner and limits what it really can do. Because what if, what if the Spirit of God could be limitless in my life? That's scary (laughs) and amazing. Jesus tells us that God is changing everything through his spirit. He's changing the world. He's changing how people know him and come to him. He's breaking down all the walls and all the barriers between him and the people that he loves. He can't define it. Can't nail it down. And that is what is so wonderful about it. That the living God wants a piece of him to live inside of you. And with God living inside of us, blowing us the ways that he wants us to go, are we in control? No. And all the better for it. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you (laughs) We thank you that you want to have this kind of relationship with us. God, I don't know many people or friends that want to spend as much time with me as you do. And God, that you would offer to send your spirit to us, to live inside of us, to be our advocate, comforter, companion, guide, counselor, helper, friend, intercessor, encourager, exhorter, supporter, advisor, consoler, that you would put your spirit in us to help us become who you want us to be in all moments, in all times, in all things is a wonderful gift. God, may we know, may we know how amazing it is that you would live in us and draw us to you in this way. And God, May we know the power of your spirit in our lives. May we not put it in the corner and try to define it and say what it is and isn't, God, but would we allow it to be your fullness in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have any need for prayers or encouragement this morning, you want to know this God who loves you so much, um, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing this song together. Lord, I...